in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Amen. I'm going to hand over to Jack Kapinga now. Good morning, everyone, and uh, welcome. Welcome to Tasmania, welcome to Riverbank, and welcome to Synod. I honestly cannot tell you how much I wish I was there with you. But unfortunately, Mr. COVID came to visit last Thursday, and so I'm busy with him for a few more days. So a big thank you to my co-pastor, Reuben, who stepped in to kick things off this morning. And I trust that by now you've read our text from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 to 10. For this synod, the Moderaman have chosen the theme, Enduring in Christ. And so we're going to particularly look at verses 6 to 10 and ask ourselves the question, how do we keep going? How do we keep going? Now, the reason I ask that is because as elders, as pastors, as people actively serving the Lord, we know that ministry can be really, really tough. I mean, it's a, it's a high calling. It's a glorious vocation. It's a noble task. But yet the reality is that it can be so incredibly difficult, so demanding frustrating, disheartening, and tiring. Perhaps I can illustrate that this morning by reflecting on my own experience this year. My first mistake was to take holidays in January. It was great, but as you well know, you return to leftover jobs from last year, issues people are waiting to see you about, an overflowing inbox, and a whole year ahead to plan for. On the day I returned, I was told of someone in the congregation, given only weeks to live. And so care was needed, and a funeral soon followed. By then, someone else was in similar circumstances, needing more care, and another funeral. These were wonderful occasions, don't get me wrong, but also all-consuming. And so you try to keep your head above water in all of the ongoing tasks. Of course, that includes the weekly preaching. I don't know about you, but I find preaching quite difficult and stressful. You want desperately to proclaim God's word in a way that is faithful and glorious and gospel-focused, engaging, relevant, well-illustrated, and not too long. You give it your all, and then before you know it, it's Monday, and you start all over again. Then there's the pastoral work. 
This year as a church family, we've had various illnesses, including half a dozen cancer patients. We've had weddings and babies, court cases, mental health challenges and relationship issues, people wanting to join our church, others wanting to leave. And those are just the urgent needs. For, of course, our fundamental calling is to help the whole congregation to grow in their faith and service and witness. Let's not forget the leadership tasks. There's regular church council meetings, all demanding preparation beforehand and follow-up afterwards. Riverbank has recently developed our Vision 2030, and we're keen to convert the theory into reality. But that all takes work. As a key part of that, we just launched our new discipleship and pastoral care plan. But now that requires implementation. Then there's our mission to the lost. At Riverbank, we promote the principles of organic outreach. And I am constantly reminded of just how challenging it is, as Paul urges us to do the work of an evangelist, to find time and opportunity to connect with unbelievers, being, being an example to the rest of the flock. On top of that, there are all those little extras that add to the busyness. We've recently begun services at a lo local nursing home. We're involved in an upcoming Will Graham event. We have a staff team needing encouragement and direction. We just participated in NCLS. We meet with other pastors in Launceston. We help other churches with preaching. We've had two classes meetings already this year. Then, of course, there's COVID adding even more complications. Unlike many of you, we were relatively COVID-free until this year when the borders opened. And so we've now had issues with mask wearing, changing regulations, immunocompromised members, and the majority of our congregation out on quarantine at one time or another. And then, my friends, then there is Synod. I've had the joy of serving an extra year on the SIC a task that has provided endless problems that I never realised were mine. I've also been part of our Synod Planning Committee, a huge task in itself. And like all of you, I've had that mountain of reports to read, consider and discuss. And then Peter asked me to lead devotions this morning, just preaching to a room full of preachers. And somewhere in all of that madness, is the need to look after your own marriage and family, the need to think about your own mental, emotional and spiritual well-being, and then there's physical health. Six weeks ago, I found myself in hospital with an unexpected bout of labyrinthitis, and I'm still feeling the effects. The doctors discovered a few other issues along the way as a bonus, and to top it all off, I got the dreaded virus at the worst possible time. But even in thinking about all of that, there's always that other list of things that didn't get done. The visits not completed. The drifting youth not followed up. The mentoring not started. The training not organised. The books not read. The good spiritual habits not continued. And even the things that were done didn't always go well. The sermon slaved over, but still feeling flat. 
the care extended but met with indifference, the ideas so enthusiastically promoted but that evoked only apathy, the outreach efforts that really came to nothing. And when you add it all up, you can only conclude, can't you, that ministry can be really, really tough. And sometimes we wonder to ourselves, how do we keep going? Perhaps some of you are super elders or super pastors who never have such struggles. But for the rest of us mere mortals, this is a real and relevant question. How do we keep going? We shouldn't be surprised that ministry's hard. In verse 8 of our text, Paul says to Timothy, join with me in suffering for the gospel. We all know how the apostle struggled for the sake of his ministry. And here he tells Timothy that he will do the same. <coughs> Excuse me. And this is a common refrain throughout scripture, isn't it? Serving God, following Christ, proclaiming the gospel can lead to stress, hardship, persecution, weariness, and despair. And so, of course, there will be times when we find it hard to go on, hard to endure. Sometimes there's just too many demands, too many frustrations, too many regrets, and we're even tempted to throw in the towel. So what do we do? Well, I think the Apostle Paul has some valuable advice. For in our passage today, he provides three reminders, three truths to sustain us in the tough times. And the first of those is in verse 6. For there, Paul urges Timothy to remember the gift of God. He says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Paul reminds Timothy that he's been given a very special gift, a special calling. In verse five, he spoke of Timothy's faith passed on by his mother and grandmother. But now he speaks of something more of the way that this man has been set aside and equipped to be a teacher, a minister, a leader among God's people. But we need to be very clear that the gift comes from the Lord. He's the one who chooses and prepares. As Paul says elsewhere, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers the fact that a person is suited to ministry is not in the first place good bloodlines, good connections, good training, or good luck. It's because God has specifically and intentionally provided them with his gift. Now, Paul mentions a couple of other things. He says the gift comes through the laying on of hands. In other words, the gift of God is reinforced through the recognition and confirmation of others. Timothy may have suspected he was suitable for ministry, but it was only when Paul verified that and set him apart that the call was official. And the same thing still applies today. 
We may see gifts in ourselves or in others, but it's only when the church recognises and confirms that ordination results. Paul also tells Timothy that this gift of God needs to be fanned into flame. And so while God may provide the gift and others confirm it, Timothy himself had to look after it. You see, my friends, there are times when our ministries can, can burn so brightly. We're on fire for the Lord. We're confident of our calling, optimistic for the future. But yet there are other times when that fire dies right down and burns low and peters out. It's in those times that we feel far from the Lord. Our love grows cold and ministry becomes a burden. Paul knew the risk for Timothy, but it's no less a risk for us today, is it? And so Paul says, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. So how do we do that? Well, a fire needs to be fed. It needs heat, fuel, and oxygen. And a ministry needs to be fed as well. We need to stay close to the Lord. We need soul-searching prayer and humble attention to his word. We need an acceptance that we are called to suffer this side of glory. We need to marvel at the love of Christ and keep our eye on the goal. We need the support and encouragement of each other. If we starve ourselves and our ministries, then the fire will inevitably burn low. And that's when it becomes hard to go on. But we need to actively ensure that we are getting good spiritual fuel so that the gift of God can be fanned into flame and burn brightly in our hearts and in our lives and in our churches. My friends, ministry can be so tough, but if we want to keep going, if we want to endure, then we need to remember the gift of God. Remember, it's the Lord himself who has chosen you and equipped you for his service. Remember that he reinforced that calling through the confirmation of his church. But remember too, that we must keep fanning that flame and keeping it bright by walking closely with our Lord. But now we find a, a second reminder in verses seven and eight. For Paul tells us to also remember the power of God. He says, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. These verses tell us that while God has given us the gifts we need to serve him, that doesn't mean he's now left us to use those gifts in our own strength for he has given us his Holy Spirit. And the Spirit is God's agent of power in this world. And the Spirit is God's agent of power within us.
What that means is that when we sit down to write a sermon or to visit a grieving family or to mentor a young guy in the church or to share the gospel with our neighbour or to try to get our head around a complex synodical report, we're not actually doing it on our own. If we were, then I'm sure that just like Timothy, we'd be at risk of being timid and ashamed, weak and useless. But the Spirit of God gives us power, a power far beyond our own, a power to speak, a power to convict, to encourage, to grow, to be wise, to lead. But Paul also says the Spirit gives us love a love beyond our own, a love for God, a love for the lost, a love for the church. And he says, the Spirit gives us self-discipline, a self-discipline beyond our own, enabling us to harness our own desires and to focus on the calling we've received. But did you notice that Paul never says that the Spirit will protect us from all stress and struggles and hardship. But rather, he says that the Spirit will enable us to endure and to keep going in the midst of these things. For he says, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. But, you know, I think it's at this very point that we reach the heart of our problem. For I don't know about you, but when I face tough times in ministry, when I'm called upon to suffer for the gospel, then far too often my first reaction is to rely on myself. Instead of seeking the Lord's strength, I focus on my own strength. Instead of depending on the Holy Spirit's power, I turn to my own power. Instead of enduring in Christ, I endure, or at least I try to endure, in myself. And as a result, we put in longer hours, we fixate on the to-do list, and we just try to do better. And ironically, at the very time that we need the Lord the most, we squeeze him out of our schedule because we just don't have time. Have you been there, brothers? You're about to go into a difficult visit or a challenging meeting and you realise that you haven't even prayed about it. You're worrying about how your message will be received as though God's not even part of the picture. You're stressed about the well-being of your church as if it's all up to you. It's no wonder, is it? Sometimes we want to give up. But if we want to keep going, then remember the power of God. My friends, we're not doing this on our own. It does not depend on how smart or strong we are. For we have a far smarter and far stronger God. And he is working in us and he is working through us. And in his strength, we can endure every suffering for the sake of the gospel. <clears throat> Excuse me. But now the third and the third and final reminder is in verses 9 and 10. For we're told not only to remember the gift of God 
and the power of God, but also to remember the grace of God. And who describes grace better than Paul? Just listen to these beautiful words. He says, God has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. These words remind us that when we're bogged down in agendas and minutes and emails and rosters and planning and training and disputes and complaints and COVID regulations and synod preparations, that we should never lose sight of what it is all about. For it's all about death and life. It's all about the gospel of Jesus. And it's all about grace. For even though we may be elders and pastors, even delegates to synod, that does not change the fact that we were dead in sin and utterly deserving of hell. But yet the Lord rescued us from our sin and called us to live for him. And not because we deserved it, because we didn't but because of his wonderful mercy. And that mercy was planned through his own son before this world even came to be. But we are so privileged, for we've also witnessed the plan fulfilled. We've seen Jesus appearing, suffering, dying and rising, and all for our benefit for our atonement, to defeat death and give us new life today and eternal life forever. It's actually not that hard to forget about God's grace in the busyness of our daily tasks. But we need to remember, because that's what this is all about. We need to remember the undeserved grace of Almighty God toward miserable wretches like us, because that will help us to go on when ministry's hard and it all seems too much. For we are following in the footsteps of our own Saviour, who gave up everything for us, and he has called us to endure hardship, knowing that, knowing that it's nothing compared to that glory that he has prepared for us. But we also need to remember that the undeserved grace of Almighty God is the very heart of our calling. It's the very message that we're privileged to proclaim. And that too should keep us going when ministry is tough. And I don't want to say too much about that because I don't want to detract from Murray's passage for tomorrow. But let me just ask you this. Have you seen the movie Hacksaw Ridge? If you haven't, well, it's a movie about the true story of Desmond Doss, 
an American who served in World War II. But Desmond, you see, was a, a conscientious objector. He served as an army medic, and he was the only U.S. soldier to go to the front line without carrying a weapon. But on one fateful day, during the Battle of Okinawa, Doss's unit was decimated by the Japanese, and dozens of Americans were left injured and dying on the battlefield. But Doss, in the most horrendous conditions, suffering extreme physical exhaustion and at enormous risk to his own life, well, he single-handedly went behind enemy lines to rescue his countrymen. For hours on end, he went back to find one wounded soldier after another, carrying them back to the ridge, lowering them down on a rope, and each time praying that he might save just one more. And in the end, he saved 75 lives. But why did he keep going? It's because he knew that lives were at stake. And surely, my brothers, that should keep us going as well. Because lives are at stake. Eternal lives. For whatever else might go on in our ministries, whatever our struggles we might be facing, may we always remember the grace of God that grace that brings life and immortality, that grace that we have been called to proclaim. My fellow workers in the gospel, there is, there is absolutely no doubt that ministry can be really, really tough. There's no doubt that we are called to suffer for the gospel. But when you find yourself wondering, how do we keep going? and you're tempted to throw in the towel, then I urge you to remember these words from Paul. He says, remember the gift of God. The Lord himself has chosen you for this task. He says, remember the power of God. You're not doing it on your own. And he says, remember the grace of God, the grace that rescued us and that we proclaim so that others may also be saved. Remember these glorious truths, good and faithful servants, and they will strengthen you to endure in Christ. Amen.